If you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 has 71 verses in it. So we're going to go home at about 3 o'clock this afternoon. You Pine Cove folks are excited about it. Redeemer folks aren't at all. All right. It means we're going to have to move fast. Um, we're in this series, I Am. In the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us seven great I Am statements. And this morning, we will see the first of these seven, I am the bread of life. But I don't think that we can look merely at those few words or even the few verses surrounding it. I think we need the whole chapter. So we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to move fast, Lord willing, all the way to 71. In verse 1, after these things, Jesus went away. To the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or to Tiberias. That's on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. The first thing we're going to see that Jesus is going to do in John chapter 6 is confront, if you will, the fleshliness of many who were following him. And he sees here in verse 2 that there is a crowd that is following him. And John tells us it's because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Jesus was healing people. And the crowds thought that was pretty cool. Jesus is a bit suspicious. He suspected that he had a problem. He sensed that maybe the crowds were following, at least many in the crowds were following for physical reasons. They liked not his glory, but if you will, the goodies that he might be able to provide. In the context of John, in chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but after Jesus turned the water into wine, John wrote this, the beginning of Jesus' signs, of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Through these signs, these miracles that we will see throughout the book of John, Jesus was manifesting his glory and many were believing in him. Others, though, saw the signs and didn't see his glory, but rather the goodies that he might be able to provide. And so Jesus is going to take an opportunity. In verse 3, then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. John probably includes that because Jesus probably had it on his mind. That here are these crowds, many of whom he suspects are following him, not because of his glory, but because of the goodies he might be able to provide for them. And yet he has in mind the Passover. It will not be this Passover, probably the next, where Jesus will go to the cross and give his life as a substitute for the sins of his people. 
The Passover is the celebration of that great deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage when that unblemished lamb was slaughtered in the place of the people of God. And God's judgment came through but passed over them in light of the lamb that had been shed, slaughtered for them. Jesus had that in mind. While the crowds were following, he's thinking about the cross to come. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? So Jesus is going to take an opportunity with this hungry crowd to teach at least two lessons. I think one of the, if we might say the minor lesson in this particular context is that Jesus can meet the needs of the multitudes through his disciples, even when we don't have very much to bring to the table. Just a few loaves and a couple fish, Jesus can take that, and with those loaves and with those fish, he can feed the multitudes. John tells us there's 5,000 men. Estimates are 10,000 plus men, women, and children. And of course, Jesus does feed the 5,000 in verse 14. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now, if you know your Old Testament, that's pretty significant. Moses had led the people out of Egypt through the wilderness and there on the plains of Moab, before they entered into the promised land, he had told them that God would one day raise up a prophet just like him and that the people were to listen to that prophet. And therefore, throughout Old Testament times, there was this expectation among the people of Israel that God was going to raise up a final prophet to whom they were to listen. Many of you will remember the baptism of Jesus or actually his transfiguration when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's probably alluding back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. God is going to raise up a prophet like Moses. Listen to him. And so they're right here. This is truly the prophet who has come into the world, but look what they want to do next. They want to make him king. Not only do they have these anticipations of the prophet, but they have anticipations of a messianic king who will come and defeat their enemies and establish the kingdom and, if you will, give them the goodies. And if you know anything about the New Testament, you know that Jesus came and did not fulfill those expectations of Israel. One day he will come again to defeat his enemies and establish a kingdom forevermore. But it won't be at this first coming. This king is going to have to go to a cross and wear a crown and die for his people. Jesus, perceiving they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. His suspicions were right. They saw that he could heal. They saw that he could give them bread. 
they wanted to make him king. Maybe he can lead a revolution against the Romans and he can set us free and he can give us all that we want. It begs the question, why are you following Jesus? What expectations do you have of him? If I'll follow Jesus, then he will make me healthy. If I'll follow Jesus, then he will make me wealthy. If I'll follow Jesus, then it's not me bending my knee to him. In fact, it's him bending his knee to me. He'll give me the goodies that I want. That's a dangerous place to be because we are promised no goodies in this life. And when Jesus doesn't come through on our health or on our wealth or any other crazy expectations we would make of him, that can put us in a dangerous place. So Jesus withdraws. He's not going to give in to their desires to make him king. He sends his disciples across the Sea of Galilee. He meets them on the water in a miraculous walking on the water and himself goes to the other side to Capernaum. In verse 22, the next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but the disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So many of this crowd, we don't know how many, it's somewhat hard to fathom, but many of them followed Jesus across the Sea of Galilee. They may have gone up and walked across the top of it, but they followed him to Capernaum. They sought him out says that they were seeking Jesus. And when they found him, verse 25, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, so having performed this miracle and, and fed them with bread, he's going to now speak about it. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me but not because you saw signs. Now, In the context of John, Jesus performs a sign to manifest his glory that we might believe, trust him, commit our lives to him. Truly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw those signs, not because you deciphered my glory, not because you want to follow me no matter what goodies I give or don't. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Jesus is beginning to say, I have not come 
to merely meet your physical, temporal needs for food. Or even your temporal, physical needs for healing. Not in this age. That age is coming. But I have come to give eternal life. I have come that you might be forgiven of your sins, reconciled to God, made a part of his family, to be with him forevermore. That's why I've come. Remember how this gospel begins? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then a little later, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This eternal Word of God takes to himself humanity. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John said, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is why I have come. On a rescue mission to give eternal life to those who will believe. Verse 28, they, they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the gospel of belief, right? Believe, believe, believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We're going to see it over and over again in this text. Believe. Friends, if you're here today and you know nothing or not much of Christianity, if you perceive in your mind that what this book is about and what Christianity is about, is that you must work the works of God in order to earn his favor and appease his wrath, that there's nothing further from the truth. The message of Christianity, the message of this book, is that God the Son, the eternal word, has become a man to give his life upon a cross so that by simply believing in him, trusting in him, you can have the forgiveness of sins. You do not have to clean up your act. You do not have to work through a particular set of ladder rungs so that God will be pleased with you. You need to turn in faith into Jesus Christ. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom you've sent, whom he sent. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? There's just unbelief over and over and over again out of this crowd. They are aware of the signs which he has been doing. They knew that he had healed the sick. They had experienced the fact that he just fed the thousands, and yet they're still wanting more. What then do you do for signs so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread 
out of heaven. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. When we were in the wilderness and Moses was leading us, there was manna every day, bread. Jesus says, God, that bread was simply a foreshadowing of the true bread that was to come. I, well, he hadn't gotten there yet. God has given the true bread. It comes down out of heaven and it gives life to the world. If you will, it comes down out of heaven. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas. And gives life to the world. An allusion to his coming death, burial, and resurrection. The, the basis of which is life to all who will believe. And they said to him, Lord, or sir, some translations, always give us this bread. Now, they're still not getting it. Let me show you a, a little theme that has been running through the Gospel of John up until this point. Go back to chapter 3. Some of you will be familiar with this story. It's Jesus with Nicodemus. Chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi... We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus is talking up here. And Nicodemus is living down here. Jesus is talking spiritual. Nicodemus is going, how does a guy go back into his mother's womb a second time? Natural, earthly. Jesus is talking eternal truths. Nicodemus is just thinking about temporal stuff down here in chapter 4. It's Jesus and the woman at the well. lost now on where it is. Uh, I will find it, I promise you. I was looking at it. 13, thank you very much. Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She had not gotten it yet. She's going to get it, but she had not gotten it yet. She's thinking Jesus is somehow talking about some sort of water that, that she can have where she's not going to have to keep coming here to draw it out. He's talking up here and she's living down here. 
in chapter 6, verse 32. My Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven, for the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, give us this bread. I think they're still, talk, they're still thinking about some sort of bread. Jesus is now about to preach or teach some high and vivid, one guy called it shocking truth. And then there's going to be a response to his teaching. We'll see it in a bit. Some will listen to what Jesus is about to say in this whole context and they're going to turn away. And some are going to say, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus says in verse 35, they say, give us this bread. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. It's me. Yes, God gave you manna in the wilderness to your fathers. But he is now giving a bread that will bring life to the world. Uh, give us this bread. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. This audience understood bread to be the staff of life. It was a primary source of nourishment. And it still is in so many places around the world. For Jesus to say, in particular to this crowd, I am the bread of life. He is saying that he is fundamental, or maybe a better word, essential. Just as you need physical bread, to maintain your physical life, you need spiritual bread for eternal life. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am absolutely essential to meeting your spiritual needs. Not only essential, but he is satisfying. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. And those of us who have come to know Jesus as our Savior, I think, know what this is about. We have tasted and found that the Lord is good. He has met our needs, our deepest needs needs for the forgiveness of sins all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God there is none righteous no not one and as a result of our sins we're separated from God and we justly deserve his judgment forevermore and yet Jesus comes the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world 
our sin had alienated us from God. And yet, through Jesus Christ, the Bible says we've been reconciled to him. We who were enemies are now friends. We have been, through Jesus Christ, adopted into the family of God. It's not merely that he has forgiven us of our sins and told us to go sit in the corner because we make him sick. He has forgiven us of our sins and he has opened wide his arms and said, come on, you are now my son, my daughter, and I love you. And he has given us promises upon promises of his faithfulness, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that he will be with us to the end of the age, that he will, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches, which are in Christ Jesus. And he has said, and we will see it, and I will raise you up on the last day. Jesus is absolutely essential. This is a claim of Jesus to exclusivity. He'll say it another way later in the book, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His apostles will say it like this, there is no other name under heaven by which you must be saved other than Jesus Christ. I am the bread of life. Just as bread is essential to your physical life, I am essential to your spiritual life. And I am satisfying. I will meet your spiritual needs. You can be poor. You can be sick or diseased. You can look rather homely. You can only enjoy simple food and simple clothing and live in a simple house. But if you have Christ you have life. You have peace and joy, as Paul would say, in the Holy Spirit. You can be rich. You can be filthy rich. You can be healthy, beautiful, handsome. You can look good. You can have a big old house and the finest of clothes. You can have the, quote, best of life. But if you do not have Christ, if you do not have the bread of life, then you do not have life. Now, the high truth. Only those God calls will come to this bread. We're about to look at some verses that are very, very controversial. We're going to spend very few minutes on them. I hope if these verses are shocking to you, maybe it'll be the first time you've ever laid your eyes upon such verses. I think that's awesome. If they shock you, if they cause you to tremble on the inside, join the club. I can remember 
Last time y'all were here, I told a story about Christmas conference, Campus Crusade Christmas conference in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And um, uh, what was that verse? Uh, now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible. That same Christmas conference, same pastor, Tom Nelson, preaching. And as an aside in that message, he said, I'm a Calvinist and I paid good money to be a Calvinist. And I thought, what is a Calvinist? And I went home and found out what a Calvinist was. Calvinism is, deals with, in so many words, the, the issues of predestination and election and the like. And I started to read that, and I started to shake in my boots. I can remember going to church the next Sunday, sitting on the front row and trembling through the whole service, waiting for it to be over so I could go grab Pastor Tom. And he finished the service and dismissed everybody, and I went straight up to him. And he looked at me. Before I said a word, he said, Mitch, what is wrong with you? Because he could just see it all over my face. And I said, predestination. And he goes, ah! I said, we got to talk. He said, when do you want to talk? I said, tomorrow? He picked me up at 2 o'clock from Kerr Hall the next day. We went to Metzler's Barbecue. He went up to the deal to get a cup of coffee. You want anything? No, sir. I'm still shaking. I'd been shaking for about, I don't know how long I'd been shaking. And we sat down, and one of the things he told me, one of the first things he told me, you need to read John 6 over and over and over again. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Just briefly, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Apparently, within the mystery of the Trinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and their design for the salvation of their people, the Father gave to the Son a group of people. All Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me will Come to me. When did this take place? Ephesians chapter 1. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This grace was granted us in Christ Jesus before all eternity. Apparently, before the foundations of the world in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit designed a plan whereby they would save a people. And God the Father gave to His Son a people. And He says that all the Father will give to me will come to me. We'll talk about that more in just a bit. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly... Not cast out. Oh, how quickly we must move. Maybe we'll just read it and I'll let you go home and deal with it on your own.
Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? So they're grumbling, still in unbelief. Jesus answered and said, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 37, all the Father gives to me will come to me. One who comes to me, I'll certainly not cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. I'm the bread of life. If you will come to me, I will give you life. And yet many of them were not coming to him. They saw the signs, but they didn't see his glory. Jesus wasn't surprised. He knew that none would see his glory unless the Father who sent him draws them. In theology, we call this irresistible grace or effectual calling. The reality is, if I read the Bible correctly, that God chose his people before the foundations of the world to be his and predestined that they would be his sons and daughters. And then in time, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, became a man and lived and died and rose for his people to accomplish their salvation. And then along the way, you were born. And if you've come to know Jesus Christ, if you have seen his glory and trusted in him, the reason you have is because God, the Father, drew you to Christ. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This was, it was invisible. You may not have known it was happening. But there came a time in your life where before the gospel message essentially went in one ear and out the other, and the talk of God and his glory and his holiness and talk of your sin and rebellion and need of forgiveness and need of Jesus, that, you know, whatever. But then there came a time in your life where you said, you know what? God is great. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And you bowed your head and you prayed a prayer and you just inclined your heart to God. Father, I need Jesus. It's because you were taught of God. It was an inner illumination of your soul that you didn't deserve, you didn't do anything to earn, but it happened. 47, truly, truly, I say, 
He who believes has eternal life. I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So that's the high doctrine, the high teaching. Wow. Now the vivid and what one guy called the shocking teaching. I am the living bread that comes down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread also I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So this bread, I am the bread. And what you must do is eat this bread. And the bread which I give for the world is my flesh. The Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us this, his flesh to eat? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I or as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. In a word, all of this language of eat my flesh and drink my blood is, is the language of personal appropriation. The fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into the world to live and die and rise for his people. You still must personally appropriate him. Believe. Take him as Savior. Consume, if you will, him. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? We're not exactly sure exactly what they were referring to. I think maybe along with some others, that it, it's the broad context of everything that Jesus has been saying, which they were having problems with. The fact that he was claiming to have come from heaven. Wait a minute, this is Mary and Joseph's son. What is this talk of him coming from heaven? That following him isn't about earthly temporal goodies in this age. Hey, did you, did you all see the healing that he did? Hey, didn't you all like this bread? And he said, that ain't what it's about. This talk that you and I are unable to come to him apart from God's sovereign grace. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That I must humble myself and eat and drink of Christ. That that is the path to eternal life. That it's not me and my goodness, but it's Christ and I must take hold of him. All of these were difficult statements. He's about to say another one. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then? 
if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before. I think what he means by that is this. Y'all saw the signs, the healing, the, the food, the bread, the prophet. Let's make him a king. And his message to them is, that's not why I've come. I've come to give eternal life. In fact, if you have any expectations and hopes of me establishing a kingdom at this time, whereby you will experience the goodies, I'm about to ascend back into heaven. I'm going away. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. There are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who would not believe who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Disciples in this context are used loosely. It's those who were associating with him. But Jesus confronts them with their motives. And he teaches them some high and shocking truth that they listen to and go, this ain't why I'm in this. I'm in it for the goodies, not for the glory of God. And they withdrew. So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, I hope you will always keep that verse in mind whenever you're tempted to go anywhere else other than Christ. Where else are you going to go to find the words of eternal life? He's the bread which has come down out of heaven. He's essential and he's satisfying. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Where else are you going to go? Close with this. Christ is the bread of life. He is the essential, satisfying nourishment for your soul. You must believe in him. You must eat his flesh and drink his blood. You must personally appropriate him. If you have never done this, you must. You must believe in him as the one the Father has sent to be the sacrifice for your sins. To be the bread who gives eternal life. Having believed in him, when others dismiss his word, you and I must stay true. When his teaching can be hard to understand and sometimes hard to apply, you and I must stay. When the multitudes turn away and go back home, you and I, by his grace, must say, Oh Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life.
Jesus is the bread of life. You must have him. And having him, you will find him satisfying. Indeed, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this word that gets into our souls and makes us consider why we might follow Jesus. Is it in the expectation of goodies? Or is it because we have seen his glory? And whether he gives me a goodie in this life or not, I will follow him because he has the words of eternal life. May it be true of us. Should all of our goodies go, let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth. Abideth still. Should our wealth leave us today, should our health be gone tomorrow, should all that we lean into and all that we take pride in, may it all, should it all be gone tomorrow, oh Lord, would you find us standing still? following Jesus, having come to know that he is the Holy One of God. If there's any here today who have never trusted in Jesus Christ, Father, would you please draw them now? Help them to see your greatness. Help them to see their sin. Help them to see Jesus Draw them to believe, to trust in him. We'll pray this in Christ's name. Amen.